Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. The winners are the, the people with the most stories. One of the great things about traveling is the people that you meet. I've slept in bus stations, like yeah. I've slept on people's floors. And it's already on fire, and then there's just a gigantic, huge explosion, like out of a Hollywood movie. It's not right or wrong, it's just different. We hired like 10 Chinese prostitutes to come be our audience. We were kidnapped by nuns in Puerto Rico. <laughs> not a good idea to be high when you're packing. You forget a lot of stuff. I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Marilyn Ball. And before we get to Marilyn, here's a few announcements. First, our website is TravelTalesPodcast.com. There you'll find photos that I've taken, photos that some of the guests have taken, stories that some of the guests have written, stories that I've written. There are links to the guest sites and social media, and there are links to our social media. And by that, I mean, of course, Travel Tales Podcast on Instagram. There's Travel Tales Pod on Twitter. We have a Facebook page. Follow us everywhere. Also at TravelTalesPodcast.com, you'll find links to Stitcher Radio, Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify, iHeartRadio, and basically anywhere you get your podcasts. So if you listen to us on one of those formats, and most of you do, I ask as always to please give us a good rating because that boosts our presence there and helps more people find the show. Maybe say a few nice things. That's kind of cool. And if you're in the mood to say some nice things, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. That's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Maybe you think you'd be right for the show, or maybe you know somebody you might be right for the show. Write me. Today's guest is someone I connected with online. Her name is Marilyn Ball. She's the host of Speaking of Travel, a podcast and radio show. I guess it's more of a radio show. She's based out of Asheville, North Carolina. She's been doing Speaking of Travel for around a dozen years now, I guess. And she was nice enough to interview me for her show. So I said, you know what? In a bit of cross-promotion... And because we had a fun time doing her show, I said, why don't you come on the Travel Tales podcast? And she said, great. So in this episode, we talk about Marilyn's start and how she uh, started doing the radio show, her travel history, and we talk about where she lives right now for a bit, which is Asheville, North Carolina. Now, I played UNC Asheville as a comedian way back in the 1990s, and uh, I didn't remember much about it. But since then... Asheville is one of those towns that just exploded. It's a college town. It's up in the mountains in North Carolina. It's very pretty. It's where the famous Biltmore Estate is, which I didn't see when I was there, and I regret it now, so I got to go back. And it just became, in the last 20 years, one of those growing, hot places to live. So we talk a little about how it's changed over the years, and we talk about some of her travels and what it means to her and a lot of other things. So I hope you enjoy this conversation, and check out her show. Speaking of travel, you can go to her site at speakingoftravel.net, and she's on Instagram, and we have links to all her socials on our site as well. So let's speak of travel, shall we? Here's Marilyn Ball. Marilyn Ball, how are you? I'm great, Mike. How are you doing? Good. It seems like we just did this. We did. <laughs> we had so much fun. Speaking of travel. So That's when it. is there a release date now? Because this is coming out this week. This episode the, is coming out this week. When, when is my episode of your show coming out? It will come out this week also. So we'll... What synergy. Yeah, what we synergy. Connecting. Yeah. So uh, for people who don't know, speaking of travel, how do you describe it? I mean, uh, we both have travel podcasts and travel shows. Yours is more of a radio show. Tell people about it. 
All right. Well, speaking of travel is actually a radio show first. It started as a local regional radio show right here in Asheville, Western North Carolina. And after a couple of years, it was picked up by iHeartRadio locally and regionally. And they helped me create this platform where I could talk to people about travel. And it's an hour-long show. It airs every single week. And back then, it would be uploaded to an app. People didn't even really know what an app was at that point. <laughs> but, you know, it went up into some satellite. And then over time, it became called a podcast. Mm -hmm. So not only is it uploaded every week to a radio format, but then it's uploaded to all the worldwide podcast platforms. Well, what was your background before you started it? I mean, I think you were, we talked about this, you were a journalist, right? And uh, not in Asheville, were you? Yes, were actually, you? I've, okay. I've been in Asheville for four decades. Oh my gosh. Okay. Yes. You, or, why did I think you were a New Yorker? I don't know. My family <laughs> is originally from New York and I was born in Washington, D.C. Okay, so I kind Washington, of am, that's what I'm thinking. That's it. Yep. Truly a Washingtonian okay. by heart. But I've been here in Appalachia in Western North Carolina in Asheville, North Carolina uh, for a really long time. Came here like a homesteader, right? <laughs> you know, looking for a place to get off the grid, live off the land, grow our own vegetables, have little naked barefoot kids running around. Right. You're going to have your... Your hippie commune there in Asheville? Yeah, we sure. did indeed. <laughs> but then I ended up going to college and getting a degree in communication and really thought I would go to work for National Geographic or something. Like I had big ideas, but I ended up going to work for an emerging ad agency right here in Asheville, North Carolina, that grew over the 18 years that I was there into a very successful ad agency that was all wrapped around travel and tourism in this region. So we actually got to market these beautiful mountains and these communities here in Western North Carolina. And so my background is really in travel and tourism, and I've spent a lot of time out in the field. I love traveling myself. And when the opportunity came up that this friend of mine was starting a little community network of radio stations and looking for content, I said, you know, you can't go to a dinner party here without somebody telling you about their big fat trip that they just been on. <laughs> so it's like, why don't I just talk to them and they can tell their stories. And before you knew it, it became a popular show and people listened and they were intrigued and Felt like they were traveling the world by listening to my show. And here I am 10 years later. Well, that's great. And you were kind of a pioneer in Asheville because now uh, Asheville, the word is out. Like people know about it and the secret's out. But you kind of uh, beat the trend there. So I hope you bought some land by the <laughs> at the time you moved out because now I got to imagine it's a lot more expensive. Absolutely. In fact, I even wrote a book about the history of Asheville. Just if anybody's interested, it's called The Rise of Asheville, an exceptional history of community building, because our town was really built on uh, an intentional community around collaboration, people working together. And that's why people love coming here now, because it's such a really awesome community of people. 
So I know about the uh, the Biltmore Estate is there, right? Yes. Okay. I still have never been. Um, besides seeing the Biltmore Estate, well, first talk about that a little bit for people who have never been. We're going to sell Asheville here to the tourists. Well, I'm so, <laughs> so glad because I have the director of tourism on my show in another oh, week. So she'll be so happy to know that I'm here bragging about our town. But yes, George Vanderbilt. Well, this was a real pioneering town. I'll just take you back even a little bit further because we are a part of Appalachia and the Cherokee, Eastern Band of Cherokee Indians are here. The Native Americans have been here in this land for what they believe to be 10,000 years. And then the pioneers came, the settlers came, they started realizing that this was a really great, beautiful region. And then in the 1800s, mid 1800s is when George Vanderbilt came here with his mother she wasn't feeling well, and it's a place of wellness. The air is clean. It was a place where people were coming when they had TB. It was a respite. Right. What elevation and, is it? Well, it depends. It it varies, but the average is about 3,000 feet. But then it goes up to, I think, the highest peak east of the um, Rockies is here, Mount Mitchell. Okay. Grandfather Mountain. So it goes way up. The mountain range here is really diverse. And we have beautiful valleys and lots of whitewater rafting. But when George Vanderbilt came with his mother and he bought like, you know, hundreds of thousands of wilderness acres to create his home here, he kept 8,000 acres for, for himself. He brought in Frederick Law Olmsted, who had designed Central Park and was a famous horticultural architect. And they cre- he helped create what is now called the Pisgah National Forest. And it was the cradle of forestry. That's where forestry began in our country. So when you go to visit the Biltmore State, you are actually walking on Frederick Law Olmsted's most beautiful masterpiece. It's quite grand. So Vanderbilt decided to build him a simple little country house. (laughs) And he brought all of his buddies who have uh, traveled the world like Richard Hunt and Richard Sharp Smith and Douglas Ellington and some of the most famous like Art Deco architects. So the architecture here, we are second only to Miami in Art Deco buildings. Oh, I didn't know that. It's got a very, very rich history, and it's had a lot of tragedy and a lot of triumphs, but it is today probably one of the coolest, hippest places you would ever want to go. What's the population there now? Too many. Well, yeah, I knew you'd say that. but It's probably, I don't know, maybe 100, 110,000. Yeah. And, and when you moved there, what was it, like 30? It was about 60, actually. (laughs) Yeah. So big difference over, well, that's four decades, but it's growing. It's growing in leaps and bounds now. People have, like you said, they've discovered this beautiful place. So just come here with respect. Yeah. Okay. Um, So you said you're, uh, you love travel. Did you grow up with like a traveling family? Was that your deal? Did you go like overseas or was it mostly U.S. travel? You know, growing up in Washington, D.C., it was like being in another country altogether because it was so diverse. And you, for me, being a kid growing up in D.C., I could just go into the Smithsonian, like into the Natural History Museum and look at the displays of Eskimo children and go, <laughs> oh, my gosh, there are little Eskimos. Mm-hmm. So we didn't really travel 
outside of D.C., except my dad was a big fan of the uh, Civil War monuments. And we not the monuments, but the like we would go to the battlefields and we learned a lot of that history. But then we well, actually, that was pretty much what we did. We traveled around, went to Mount Vernon, learned a lot about what was going on there. My first big trip was when I was 14 years old. I had saved up all my babysitting money. My aunt and uncle lived in L.A. in your neck of the woods. Ooh, okay. Well, they were in the valley. <laughs> and you drive I, across? I flew oh, you by flew. myself. By I went yourself. by myself. At 14. 14. Wow. Yes. Okay. My parents put me on a plane. In fact, what I remember when my mother took me to the airport, this was like in Washington, D.C. Back in those days, they would have this machine. I don't know if you remember this, but it was like at the terminal and you would put money in and you would get like life insurance. Oh, yeah. Travel insurance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that if anything happened, my parents would have gotten a lot of money. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I always remember that. Like, is my life on the line here? <laughs> but for me, traveling by myself at 14 and then spending six weeks out in LA and went down to San Diego. I mean, for me, that was like going to Europe, which oh, I sure. didn't do actually until I was an adult. I was well into my um, 40s. Oh, wow. Really? Mm hmm. Yeah. Mm. I went to Bermuda because okay. I had a friend in Bermuda. I went to the Dominican Republic. But the first time I actually went to Europe, I went to Italy with a friend of mine who had a travel agency. She invited me to, to come along on a fam trip and okay. we traveled through Italy and Croatia. It was it just changed my world. Right. It's uh, it's, it's amazing to that first moment when you realize that, oh, there's another way to live and uh, it's OK. <laughs> it's nothing to be afraid of. You know, Americans need that sometime. You know, they're uh, all, always uh, being taught, like, if you're if we're number one, you know, America's the greatest country in the world. Well, then then by default, everybody else must be worse, which is not uh, the case. So not at all. <laughs> we need to and see you, it. Sometimes. We definitely need to see it. And I think what happened for me, too, is that I, I think for the first time, I really felt like, oh, maybe I'm really from here. You know, I never really <laughs> fit in where I where I grew up, even if, even though Washington was very diverse. I always I always just felt like I'm an American. I'm from the sure. United States because that's what I identify with. But then when I oh. went to Italy and then I went to Cuba and I went to Spain and it was like, oh, these people kind of look like me even. <laughs> <laughs> you know, your, your your people did come from somewhere. You know that. That's apparently. right. I do. In <laughs> fact, I've had enough tracing now to see exactly where their route was. So, oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So I felt like, oh, well, this is I'm on that path where my ancestors were. And that's why I feel like I I fit in more here. Right, right. What what were your uh, favorite memories from that trip? And if you had, like, if you had to pick out a couple from my trip to Italy, yeah, or that, yeah, that first trip, to that Europe. very first trip. Okay, well, first was just the plane trip, eight <laughs> hours where you sleep on a plane. I mean, I'd yeah. never heard it. I'd heard about it, of course, <laughs> of people that it took hours, but to be actually experiencing that. 
like, oh, there's going to be a movie and they're going to feed you and you get to pick out what you get to eat. <laughs> uh, that to me was just so exciting. And then landing in Italy, we landed in uh, Rome. We started in Rome. The the smells and the chaos. You yeah, know, people, it's and, sensory and overload, really. It was. I, the street. I really felt like I had just landed on another planet. Like this is what it's like for the Jetsons, you know, that right. we have done some kind of time travel and we got on a bus. I'll never forget. We got off the plane. We took a train to get on a bus to take us to the neighborhood where we were staying. And we got on the bus and it was just all Italians. It was like there were no Americans on this bus. Yeah. So suddenly being totally embraced by this other culture of people who are talking different and everything was different, the whole experience. And then we took the train to Ancona. So we we spent some time in Rome and then we took the train across Italy to the Adriatic Sea, which to me was the most exotic thing ever, just even saying that word, Adriatic. Adriatic. Ooh. Wow. And then we got on a ferry and it was an overnight ferry to Croatia, to split Croatia. So just being in that environment now with an, another culture of people who didn't even speak that language where we <laughs> had just gotten on this ferry. And then being in more of an Eastern European, I really felt, because that's where my people are from, I felt mm -hmm. like, oh, this really feels familiar. And, you know, people wearing babushkas and... <laughs> <laughs> This was, was before the uh this is after the civil war, I'm assuming. It was, yes. Okay. <laughs> and it was it was really I just felt so uh embraced there. We went to the theater there, we ate risotto there. It was just everything was amazing and beautiful and culturally outstanding. And then we went back to Italy and eventually made our way to Florence and then up to Milan. So we got a big comprehensive trip and I was hooked. That was it. It was like, I'm going to do this again and again and again. Did you kick yourself for waiting so long or were you like busy doing things like raising a family? Yes, I was busy <laughs> doing things like raising a family and, you know, travel always in a when you think about it, uh, when you think, when you look at the perception, it's like, Travel is expensive. It's going to cost so much. I'm just a low worker. I don't make a lot of money. But in reality, completely the opposite is true. It's like maybe your plane ticket is going to be a little bit high when you go someplace. But once you get there, everything is so reasonably priced and different. The whole economy is different that your money goes so much further and you can really be a part of the local economy. It was a mind change. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's one of the things we always preach on this show, that it's not as uh, expensive as people think it seemed to be, you know. And uh, people would ask me all the time, I'm like, how do you get to take these long trips? It was like, I'll spend in three weeks in Asia what you spend on a weekend in Vegas. You know what I mean? So it's just like, to them, three weeks in America, that's going to cost you some money. But you know, other places, yeah, no, it's not. It's going to be actually pretty, pretty cheap. So, yeah, um, yeah. So we try to, uh, you know, let people get the fear of it being 
completely expensive. Yeah, flights can be expensive, and it depends on how high end of a hotel you really want to you really need. Um, I'm not a big hotel guy, but um, and that saved me a lot of money over the years. But uh, no, well, it doesn't have to be expensive. It does not have to be expensive, and there are so many things to do for free. I mean, oh, you're yeah, in another yeah. country, and you can go to museums, you can take walks, you the can beach. go to the beach. There's just so many things that you can do to not only enrich yourself, but not get broke in the yeah. process. So we, you weren't a uh, adventure traveler, or you're not one of those people that are like, I'm going to jump out of planes or uh, hang gliding, or I'm going to scale you know, this mountain. I'm the I'm the traveler that likes to just show up. I like <laughs> it when somebody else arranges everything and all I have to do is show up. But I do like to get really into the local culture. I like to be a part of where I am. I don't want to I like to be a tourist and certainly see all there is to see and do in a certain place, but I prefer to stay in neighborhoods eat in local restaurants, even if it's more challenging. I can remember being in a restaurant in uh, Milan and it was in a neighborhood that nobody spoke English. And it was even a different kind of Italian than we'd been used to hearing down in Rome and Florence. And we were sitting in this little restaurant in a little neighborhood and we looked at the menu and the person I was traveling with, we both just were like, we don't know what this says. We don't know anything. And I don't, we didn't, there was nobody in that restaurant who spoke English, mm -hmm. but there was this little uh, woman across from us with a teenager. And I made eye contact with the teenage daughter. And I said, do you speak English? And she just broke out in this big grin. And she mm -hmm. said, I do. And it was like, well, we don't speak this type of Italian. Maybe you could help us with the menu. And she ended up reading the entire menu to us in English. <laughs> and her mother was just beaming because there probably weren't a lot of Americans coming into this little neighborhood restaurant. And I asked her, I said, how did you learn such good English? And she said her sister lived in Miami ah. and she would go visit her and she would watch American TV. Okay. <laughs> she probably learned a fair bit of Spanish as well. Right. Miami. It was just so cute. And it was, it was, to me, that just really sums up like, it doesn't matter where you go. It doesn't <laughs> matter even, I mean, it's respectful to know the language a little bit so that you can get acquainted and get connected. But overall, people are communicating with you one way or another. And that's what's so beautiful about being in these other cultures. Well, it's also a, a good reason that another thing we tell people here is like knowing English uh, is such a great advantage around the world because that's probably, you know, the, the closest thing to a worldwide language there is. Um, you can get an English speaking tour in just about any country. You can find an English speaker somewhere. Um, certainly if they're in the hospitality business, it's the uh, it's the language of air travel. You know, certainly for pilots and everything legally. And uh, so it's just, yeah, it's, it's, if you can only speak Italian, I remember taking a tour in Vietnam and there was this Italian guy with me and these Germans too. And there were no options. There were no Italian tours. It was, it was like the local language. It was in Vietnamese or in English. So they had to take the tour in English. And the guy's accent was so bad <laughs> that I was helping them 
I was speaking in a clear English to the people next to me, to the Germans, and and they're like, oh, thank you, because we can understand them. I was like, I know, it's tough, but, you know, but I realized then what a great advantage I had, you know, just Absolutely. knowing it. Absolutely. Yeah, this girl told me, she's like, I'm translating it twice in my head, you know, I'm translating, <laughs> you know, to English into German, and just, you only have to do it once. So, yeah. Well, it, luckily, it's a language that... A- like you said, you can pretty much go anywhere and there's going to be somebody who's going to be yeah. able to speak English. And then, like when I went to Cuba, I would say 80% of the people in Cuba speak English. They Because they have a really strong educational program. Yeah. Literacy in Cuba is like the highest in the world. So you've got people who, if they can find a book, they know how to read a book. Oh, and they absolutely, yeah. Learn and they learn these other languages uh, as part of their education. So sometimes it's surprising. You oh, don't yeah, even college think. is all free there, and everybody goes, and and uh, it's all taken care of. But you know, that's just uh, they just don't have any money. But <laughs> other than that, how long? How many times have you been to Cuba? I've been to Cuba twice. Okay. Uh, the first time was way back in the day when really no Americans were able to go to Cuba. It was it was really shut off after all the Cold War and all the other Bay of Pigs and things that had happened. Mm-hmm. And Americans were not uh, really encouraged or even allowed to go. But I had met some Canadians on a travel and tourism trip that I'd been on. And they go to Cuba all the time because Canadians can go yeah, to Cuba go. anytime they want. <laughs> Everybody can except us. Everybody really. but us. So she was like, why don't you come up and uh, and then fly with us? They take a little charter plane down to a teeny tiny little village in the very, very southern part of the country. Yeah, I mean, I'm talking fishing village with oh, no wow. cars. Okay. Uh, it was at the base of the Sierra Maestra Mountains, which is where Castro hid out. Uh, and brought in all the farmers to help him with the with the war. And so I flew to Canada and then got on a charter flight to Cuba uh, with a bunch of Canadians. And they all were supporting me. They put me in the middle as we got off the plane. And the uh, immigration guy was there stamping, stamping, stamping. And when it came to me, I put my hand out and I was like, uh, please don't stamp my passport. And the guy looks at me and he's like, uh, you know, in that moment, he could have done one of two things. He could have called the authorities or he could have said, uh, oh, Americana. Mm-hmm. I said, see, sí. and he's like, oh, go, go learn salsa. Go have fun. <laughs> <laughs> and so I spent two weeks in this wow. little tiny village, uh, in this little teeny resort uh, called Maria del Portillo. It was a little little resort where people from all over the country would come and they'd hang out and all the staff were local Cubans. And every every night they had a band play and people were dancing and smoking cigars. It was (laughs) it was iconic. It was like and it was that the ocean was right there, but the mountains were right there. So the whole experience was very, very local. It was great. great. I was glad I took the risk. But I'll never forget getting off the plane. I had to fly out of Canada. And, uh, you know, the the guy there is looking at my passport and he's like, it was it was in the wintertime. So he's like, 
you look awfully tan to have just spent two weeks in Canada. <laughs> it's like, well, I went to a spa. <laughs> right. Anyway, luckily, we don't have to do that anymore. The second time I went, it was perfectly legal. Yeah. I went with a group, small group of people, and we traveled quite a bit. So, Well, I think it shut down a little again. Um, yes, it until I, Yeah, I had snuck in. I went back in, I think it was around 2009 or 10 or something like that. But I, yeah, I flew in through uh, Cancun. Yeah, so Mexico was a popular there. place. Yeah. Isn't it funny how now we can tell, but back then it was like, don't tell anybody that you, yeah, what are they that you do? went. I know. <laughs> what it's are so they silly, isn't it? It's just, just so silly that it's closed off to us. It's ridiculous. But I will tell you one thing, because it's a little brag, bragalicious moment <laughs> that I had in, in Cuba the second time. The, the night that we arrived in Havana, so did the Rolling Stones, and they had a free concert for the Cuban, for the yeah. Cubans. There were over a million people there. Oh my gosh. It was a pilgrimage from all over the country. It was the first time that they could ever be in public without it being a government uh, organized event. It was the Rolling Stones. Wow. And it was epic. That was like when you, you know, what's your top five things you've ever done? The Rolling Stones in Havana, Cuba is up in the top five. That would have been awesome. I just saw them uh, last year here in L.A. No oh, yeah. Well, Mick Jagger, 78 years old, running around that stage. It was amazing. It was still, I mean, running more than I could run for sure. Oh, they were all amazing. And they were so excited because they had never been able to go into that yeah. country. So it was a first for what everybody. Year was that? Well, it was five years ago. Okay. So cool. It was, in fact, Obama had just been there. They had just had a baseball thing. You know, they're real big in the yeah, baseball. Yeah. They had baseball. a, they had a big, uh, almost like a series, a national series where baseball, People came from all over the world. And it just seemed like in that moment, there was this hope that right. things were going to loosen up with our country and everybody was going to, you know, go back to not back, but create something new. And that just didn't And then we yet. know. And then we know what happened. It happened. <laughs> so hopefully yeah. we can keep moving forward with with all of that. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, so I remember you talking while well, I looked over your site. And there was a, an article on slow travel that you were talking about. And I know that's a trend that some people talk about, about the future of travel. And I know as as the older I get, the slower my travel gets. And not just because I'm slowing down, but because it's uh, I have less of a need or a want to like try to see all these places. Because you end up, you know, you learn after a while, you end up wearing yourself out. You end up not getting a real feel of where you're at. And sometimes it's good to just slow down and stay in, in one place and kind of get and dig deeper rather than scratch the surface of a lot of places. Do you find that as well? Absolutely. And it it's slow travel is also associated with like the slow food movement. Mm -hmm. There are lots of movements now that have slow in front of it. Because it's really more about being mindful, being mindful of where you are, taking it like you were saying, don't be in such a hurry, don't have such a sense of urgency that you have to see everything, but instead, really visit the places where you are and engage slowly with the people who are there so that you can be 
a part of their culture and and be a part of their economy. Just like with slow food, you want to be able to really eat your food and enjoy it. And and the people who are making it, the makers, are taking their time to create these meals. So it's it's such a great movement in that we all need to be more in that kind of frame of mind when we engage in anything that we're doing, where we're paying attention, taking our time, focusing and engaging, yeah. right? Quality over quantity, basically. Totally. Yes. So do you find yourself uh, changing the way you travel as you've gotten older? I mean, I there's certain things that I do less of now that I did more of in the past. And I think museums are quite often one of those that I kind of felt like I was supposed to go to this whatever museum because some guidebook told me to. And it was interesting for a little bit, but I wasn't that into it. But I was there because I felt like I had to be there. And now I find myself saying, it's fine. I don't need to go. I don't need to go. If I don't I don't do anything I don't want to do, basically anymore. Absolutely. And that's the way it should be anyway when you travel. Yeah. And that's why I feel like you and I have this platform here where we can educate people and and give them tips on how they can not have to do that. And if you want to do it, great. I can remember sitting in a little cafe in Florence back in the day when they actually had travel guides. Like you took a book with you yeah. and you flipped through the pages. And I was sitting there with my friend and we're sitting there uh, having a an espresso and some gelato. Mm -hmm. And there's a couple of statues over here and I'm flipping through the through the guidebook and it says, when in Florence, be sure that you uh, visit this cafe and it had pictures and I'm looking and I'm like, oh my God, we're sitting in that cafe <laughs> where they're saying we should be sitting. We are actually there, but we found it all by ourselves. And <laughs> you had a great story on my show when you were talking about traveling with your mom and yeah. being like, She's saying, where are we going to stay? Well, I don't know. Let me go see. And uh, you pop know, it up you, on my phone and book one in 10 minutes. That's a great way to travel is to be. And I have talked to so many traveling people who have said the same thing. Figure out what you want to do. Do your due diligence. Say, I'm going here. I want to do these things. But then allow yourself time to get lost. That mm -hmm. That's really sticking with me because I <laughs> always do that rather unintentionally, right? but make it a point that you're going to just go for a walk. Give me a story of you getting lost, like legitimately getting lost okay, like when you were well, scared. Oh, well, I can tell you the story. I'm kind of sheepish about it, actually. Okay, but, go ahead. Okay. So I went to Cuba this second time with a friend of mine here in Asheville who has a small group tour company. So he had actually put together the entire tour and there were about a dozen people who went with him. And he had people in Cuba on the ground who were going to help guide us around. And one of the activities we did one day was that we went to this little island just outside of Havana where there was uh, Che Havera had lived there. It was very historic. And the goal when we got there was to go to the very top of the island where there was this big statue and meet up there. We were all going to, that was our end destination. Well, 
we're all walking down this path and the leaders leading the way. And they went off to the right. And I could see there was a guy with a um, coconut, like a little table set up. And he had, and this is out in the wilderness. But I thought, well, this is Cuba. You know, people are setting up their little tables, like a little touristy thing and showing how to cut up a coconut. I'm going to go the other way. And I'm just going to meet them at the top because I'm not really interested in seeing somebody cut open a coconut. So I just went the other way, thinking that they would meet me at the top, (laughs) when in fact, (laughs) an hour went, well, it wasn't an hour, but enough time went by where I realized they were not coming (laughs) that soon. (laughs) And I didn't know where they were. And of course, we all had emergency numbers in case something happened. And yet we're out in the middle of nowhere on an island, yeah, off an island, where nobody, yeah, it was scary. Yeah. And so I started walking down thinking that I would meet them on the path, but the path was a different path. Oh, and no. before I knew it, I was deep in the jungle by myself and I was really scared. And unfortunately, they were really scared because they didn't know where I was. So when we finally, I turned a, a corner of the path And there was a little opening and there were people sitting on the stairs of this old ruin. They had all been looking for me all this time. So (laughs) it was not it was a it was a not a savvy travel moment uh, at all. Like never leave your group. Right. I mean, that would be like especially deep in the jungle. Yeah, I just thought, well, I'll just go to the top and they'll just meet me there after they see the coconut guy. They'll find me. The coconut guy was part of the journey. That that was a setup that the guide had planned. Sure. So anyway, it set off everybody <laughs> had the whole schedule for the day was ruined. I but it taught me a valuable lesson. Stay with the group. Stay with the group. <laughs> then you find out later, oh, the coconut guy was the guide. He was the he, he was the one with the directions. He was definitely the one with the directions. And that's why we all diverged into different places. But it was an important lesson for me because, I mean, I go to New York and I just take off and start walking yeah. because I know that I can get from Fifth Avenue to you know, Central Park. I don't know exactly where I'm going, but I know I'm going to end up there. And if I need to, I can get on a ca- get in a cab. But when you're in other countries, it's been. It's good to take some time to to get off the beaten path, but not so off the beaten path that you can't get a cab or find your way home. (laughs) Or you get killed by a monkey or something. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, give me your bucket list. Where are the places you're dying to go to and dreamed of going to, but you still haven't been? Well, let's see. Well, last year I I went to Costa Rica and that had always been on my list. I don't know why I never went to Costa Rica. I think it's because I live in a rainforest and i thought oh rainforest rain yeah you've been to one you've been to them all you don't live in the same rainforest as costa rica come on now well i didn't know that that's much more tropical down there it is indeed so that was one i crossed off oh where'd you stay there well we went on a road trip so we actually stayed in lots of different places and i actually got to go visit some of the people i had interviewed on my show uh who have a coffee farm up just outside of uh, San Juan, is it San Juan or San Jose? Um, San Jose. I always get those two mixed yeah. up. San Jose. So that was fun. And we went to the volcano and then we went down to the um, Manuel Antonio National yeah. Park area. So we got to see a beautiful. good, beautiful variety of Costa Rica. 
you know, there's so many places. I, I've never been to Southeast Asia. Oh, my so gosh. So you yeah. were talking about being, where were you in Vietnam? I've never oh, been to Thailand Vietnam. many times, Thailand. Vietnam, Cambodia, Laos, Philippines. Yeah. You've never love been it all. there. I would love it all. So definitely want to go there. I would love to go to the Maldives. Oh, That's yeah. always been kind of a dream trip. Is sure. uh, So I do a series with this guy, Richard Crawford. He has a television show called Leave No Trace TV. And he travels to all these. He just came back from Antarctica, like mm-hmm. deep into Antarctica where you fly in. And so when when I'm living vicariously through him, like he went to Norway, I learned so many things about Norway. He loved Norway. That was like one of his greatest trips ever. And now I want to go to Norway. Like <laughs> I want to wear one of those cute little sweaters and I want to learn about the fjords and the people are so nice. So it's, it's wide beautiful. open. Yeah, it's beautiful up there. Bring money though. It's very expensive. Yes. Well, see, I have to find those. I have to find those off the grid kind of places. Yeah, too. there you go. Where would you recommend? Oh, off the where? I don't, I well, don't know, you know the things you're kind of into. I mean, do you want you know tropical? Do you want um, you know mountains? Do you want? I mean, it's a big world out there. I don't. I mean, if you haven't been to Africa, I always recommend that too. Like a safari. Well, I have been to. I have been to Africa actually. So oh, that's that great. I would definitely go back there. Oh, sure. Um, yeah, South America is, is pretty amazing. I mean, if you like cities or that kind of thing, uh, you know, of course, Rio and Buenos Aires down there is, is always great. And pretty much anywhere in Europe, you can't really go wrong. Right. <laughs> so, exactly. I know. There's just so many places. It's so little we, time. I'm trying I to get just, back to Japan, too. If you haven't been to Japan, oh, go to Japan. Well, that is definitely now on my list, too. Yeah. Because I just interviewed somebody recently who lives in Japan for 30 years. 30? He, wow. In, and he's uh, in, he's from India and is oh. married to a Japanese woman and he lives in Japan on a, a visa and he lives in Kyoto. Oh, okay. Which is where all the temples are. Yeah, I've been there. I've been yeah. to Kyoto. That's it. But um, well, those are his two places too. Those, and the, those are the big and ones. it was like, I want to go there. I want to go visit him and I want to be a part of that. So yeah. it's endless. You can call it research and you can, uh, you know, write it all off. Absolutely. In fact, <laughs> I'm I'm going on a trip this week, next week to the low country. I don't know if you've ever been to the low country here in uh, South Carolina. It's down on the coast. It's uh, I go down to Charleston in oh, that yeah. area. I've been to Charleston. Sure. Yeah. And well, so you've got the Gullah culture down there. You've got it's like going down to a different country. But you call it the Asheville, low country. It's called the Low Country. Yes, <laughs> that was Pat- the- But what did you think? No, I thought you know when you hear the Low Countries, it's usually like uh, the Netherlands. You know, because oh, it's down there at sea low. level, right? No, <laughs> they call this the Low Country because it's like low. Plateau. Well, yeah, you're mountain people. I get <laughs> and it. And we're mountain people. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. I, I guess we must have been the ones to invent that. Yeah, well, it's like when the uh, <laughs> the Wisconsin people would call us Illinois people, Flatlanders. <laughs> right. Because of, you know, farmland. So, yes. but no, my family used to vacation in South Carolina. We used to vacation in Myrtle Beach. We used to drive from Chicago to Myrtle Beach when I was a kid, you know, so we went there a lot, you know. But Charleston, look, I tell people when they go to the South, there's only, you know, a handful of cities that are pretty unique 
in the South. Otherwise, they all kind of run together just because, you know, Sherman kind of burned them all. <laughs> so, And the it's only true. ones that lasted were uh, Charleston, Savannah, and New Orleans yeah. are pretty yes. much the ones that are really unique if they're, people are going to be down there. So I always recommend those. And Asheville, of course. We're not going to leave Asheville out. Of course. No, never. <laughs> but you know what? I've never been to New Orleans. Come on. I'm not kidding. I was the only... I was, Marilyn, you should be ashamed of yourself. I am. I had a ticket to New Orleans and it was 911. Oh, like that. We never went. And I have friends there. I have, there's a lot of people who moved from New Orleans after Katrina. They moved to the mountains. They all live here. We have a huge, uh, like Mardi Gras parade, whole culture because everybody moved up here. But I've never gone, never been. I would say it may be the most unique city in America, just because there's nothing like it in terms of, I mean, the the food is unique, the music's unique, the architecture's unique, the language, and the, the you know, the Creole and Cajun culture and um, all that stuff. It's just, uh, it's like nowhere else in the country. So it, yeah, it really should be seen. And uh, don't be on a diet when you go. I, <laughs> I'm ready to go. But like I said earlier, I like traveling when it's all done. All I have to do is show up. <laughs> so I'm waiting for somebody to say, here, it's all ready for you. Just come. And I'm getting mm. closer, but I am looking at it also as research and development. Because when I go, then I can teach other people who haven't been, just like you get to do. Yeah. Speaking of uh, food, how's your stomach? Have you got a strong stomach or are you uh, any food poisonings uh, while traveling? Mm. Any health issues? No, knock on wood. However, I am a vegetarian. Okay. So I do eat fish. And yet sometimes when you go into different cultures, uh, they don't really know what that means. No. <laughs> no. In fact, I was just talking to a woman who does vegan world tours. Oh, so wow. she takes people on vegan trips. And actually, there are places in this world that have huge vegan cultures, like in Germany. Oh, wow. Okay. Who, yeah. who would have ever thought that? It's a yeah. whole thing. So I, I know someone who's vegan and, and like gluten free who went to Italy. She goes there all the time. You know, we I've interviewed her and you think it was like all that pasta and bread and everything. It's like, how do you, how are you gluten free in Italy? And she's like, you know, it's easier than you think, you know, and um, when you tell them, it's not like they don't know what it is. Some places don't, but um, you know what I mean? It's not like uh, they just look at you all, you know, cockeyed or anything like that. I always feel bad for the vegetarians in places like Central and South America. Um, you know, Brazil, Argentina. Argentina, they're just shoving steak at you every every day. And it's like, I can't eat that much steak, please. But uh, Asia, you're fine, especially, you know, vegetarian options in like Thailand and India and places like that. I mean, it's I didn't eat meat at all when I was in India and it's easy you know because so many of the you know buddhists and uh hindus and stuff they just don't eat meat so it's very easy very easy but yeah well that's more my lifestyle is give me some sushi and yeah okay oh you do eat that okay i do do. yeah i do eat fish and then you'll be great in japan i would be great in japan (laughs) and that's probably why i never have traveled to some of these other places because even being in cuba was challenging oh yeah they did not understand that at all it's a lot of rice and beans and uh bread and then you carb yourself to death there yeah and plantains (laughs) but you make it i mean you know you you, you can always find a way to eat 
you're never going to go hungry when you're traveling. Right. What, um, what about flying? What are you an aisle or a window person? You know, funny thing is I used to always get the window seat because I like taking pictures and looking at the window. Then I started realizing, wait a minute, when you're on a longer flight, probably having the aisle seat might be better because then you have some more leg room. You can get up and go to the restroom more often. I was just on a flight. I actually just went to Las Vegas a couple of months ago, nonstop flight. You know, it's always doing the research. What is it like to take a nonstop flight from Asheville, North Carolina to Las Vegas? I found out it was just a straight shot. You get on the plane and you get off right there. And I got an aisle seat so I could get up and walk around. And boy, that time went by so fast. Yeah, I don't think they have uh, nonstops from Asheville. I thought you'd have to go through Charlotte or something. Well, we used to, but our Asheville Regional Airport, which I'll put in a little plug for, is growing and has been attracting some of the secondary airlines. We have Delta and American, but now we have Allegiant. That's who I flew to uh, Las Vegas. So we have like 25 nonstop options now. Oh, wow. From Asheville. We can go to Denver, Phoenix. So we we don't have to go to those connector places. Can you get to Europe? Can you get to London? No, we're not international. Okay. And uh, nowhere in the Caribbean either? We'd probably go to Miami. Can you go to Miami? We can go to Key West. Okay. Wow. All right. That's yep. interesting. And we could go to Fort Lauderdale and Vero Beach and Just, some of these smaller Yeah. Key West is not a huge airport. It's not. In fact, when I went to Key West from Asheville years ago, yeah, we had to fly through Atlanta to get oh, right. there. Yeah. Now we have a direct flight. Look we can go your... to Chicago. Oh, I know. So it's... Your, your adorable little city and airport. It's growing I so know. big. It is. And I will just say that it is growing bigger. They are in the beginning stages, literally the um, uh, where, you know, where they put the shovel in the groundbreaking uh, place. Where they put the shovel in. That's it. (laughs) To create a brand new. uh, uh, First, they're doing a new tower, our control tower. Oh, they're putting a new terminal in? And a new terminal. And it's going to take about five years, but they've been planning it for 20. Right. So now it's all ready to go. The air traffic control tower, the one that we have right now was built in the 60s. (laughs) So we are getting a brand new terminal, brand new air traffic control. It's going to take about five years. Mm -hmm. They're also expanding the highway system simultaneously. So it'll be a cluster to get in and out but it will still be worth it. I've been helping them get the word out that pack your patience is a new little terminology that we are going to be modern and new and state of the art, but it doesn't just happen overnight. And no, that's great. And like how long of a drive to Charlotte are you? Two and a half hours, about two two hours. So it's not bad. A lot of people do that, or they'll Mm -hmm. go to Greenville, South Carolina, which is actually an international airport as well. So we have lots of options. It's not like we're landlocked here in the mountains. How about um, hotels and uh, Airbnb, a big thing there? Huge. Yeah. Huge thing here. We've got it all. Okay. (laughs) If you want to go glamping, you could go glamping. If you want to 
stay at the Grove Park Inn. It's a beautiful resort uh, with a big spa. You can stay in. I was with some people just recently. They were. I said, where are y'all staying? And she said, oh, we're staying over the chop shop. I'm like, the, <laughs> the shop, the chop shop is this little butcher shop in this little teeny neighborhood. And oh. apparently that people have apartments that they rent out as Airbnbs. So they were staying in a neighborhood. Talk about <laughs> slow travel, experiential. They didn't want to stay downtown, but they could walk downtown. But they were in this little neighborhood yeah. with little shops. It was really sweet. I was kind of touched that they were staying there. Yeah. Until, <laughs> yeah. For, as a vegetarian, too, you know, it's just like right. that might be tough for them. If you're a vegetarian, right. you don't, I don't stay think they the were vegetarian. <laughs> right. I think they were from Chicago. So, oh, okay. They yeah. probably ate meat. <laughs> no, oh, yeah. I can almost guarantee it. Having grown up there, I'm willing to bet they did. Well, there you go. Um, so, okay, Marilyn, this is where you get in your plugs. So, uh, where can people find you and tell us where you are on social media and Instagram and everything else? All right. Well, it's pretty easy. The name of the show is Speaking of Travel. So my website is speakingoftravel.net. Net. So, yep, you go to speakingoftravel.net. I mean, I've had this website now for like a decade. You have to remember, I started when they didn't even have websites. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, at CompuServe. Uh, <laughs> yes, exactly. So speakingoftravel.net. And then I'm on Facebook, Speaking of Travel, and then on Instagram, Speaking of Travel. And I am on Twitter, but I'm kind of like you, weeding out of that a little bit. So really Facebook, Instagram, and my website. And on my website, there's a a little button right on the homepage that you can click on, and it'll take you to all my past podcasts. So you'll be able to see who I've talked to, the different subjects that we talk about there's something for everybody and you can hear me on there telling my nonsense stories pretty soon <laughs> well i have to tell you since we had our talk i went and watched a couple more of your stand-up and it is oh. so funny i just want to kind of give you a shout out because i have a high bar on comedians i guess because <laughs> i've trained myself under some really great comedic teachers and know what it takes to get up in front of people and be funny. And you have such a nice style and (laughs) you're so professional. Like I could see you having an HBO uh, show yourself. Oh, Marilyn, get on the phone and start that write-in campaign, please. I definitely will. If you've got connections, pull them for me, will you? You've got, you've got, and especially around travel. I love your comedy around travel. Oh, Thanks. It's great to, for you to be able to tie it all in, to be able to <laughs> do your stand up, go on these cruises and have a podcast where you talk to people about travel. It's like you're living the dream, buddy. There are worse ways to live. There are worse yeah. things. And you uh, travel. So, yeah, I mean, goodness. Well, you've you got do it, it going on. Yeah. And you're doing it, too. So I want to ask you this, is how I usually end every episode of um, with all the people you've met and all the travel you've done, how has it changed your opinion on the world? How has it changed you as a person? What have you learned? People, humanity is overall kind and good. And that people are out there doing really good things to help save our planet. And we can we can be a part of that movement just one person at a time. I think that's what I've learned more than anything is that 
I think for years and years, I thought, well, I can't really do anything because it's so big and complex. And how can my little voice make a difference? Well, now that I've been doing this show and I've traveled myself, I've come to realize we can all be making a contribution, even if it's growing milkweed, throwing milkweed seeds out for the wood thrush to have a (laughs) migration we can make a difference. And I think if we collectively all agree, we're going to have a random act of kindness today. We're going to do something to pay it forward today. We're going to smile when we go out, even if we really feel like not smiling, we're going to make eye contact with somebody and make their day better. That makes me a better person. So I think that's where I would would go with that. That's great. That's a great answer. And uh, yeah, start where you're at. I always tell people, I mean, you don't have to be somewhere else to do something good. Well, I just interviewed somebody recently, Pico Iyer, who lives in Japan, who I was telling you about. And he said, when he goes to the temples out in the Kyoto, these old temples, there is an inscription on the, when you walk in, that says in Japanese, look beneath your feet, (laughs) because that's where you are. Well said. Well said. Well, Marilyn, I appreciate you doing this and thank you for having me on yours. Absolutely. And I'll send you the link as soon as I've got it ready for you. And then you can share it and I'll share yours and we'll be all shared out. We'll be shared out. And uh, thanks. So speaking of travel and Marilyn Ball and enjoy uh, Asheville. And I hope I'll get out there soon. I have some friends out there too. So I'm due for a trip out there. And if I do, I'll, uh, I'll look you up. We'll get a coffee. You have to look me up. I'm kind of the ambassador of Asheville, so I'm going to give you the grand tour. <laughs> I get the feeling there's a lot of places to have coffee there. So, uh, Do you I, think? I... <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and chocolate. And, and so... some microbreweries. Uh, I think it will, and, yeah, we yes, can get all that. Yeah. All of it. And right. I, was, I always say, too, that when you talk about craft in, in Appalachia, what they really are talking about are craft cocktails. Right. So, <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we'll have a good time when you come. Great. Thanks, Marilyn. Thank you, Mike. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.